How's it going, everybody, and welcome to episode 134 of Master My Garden Podcast. Now, this week's episode, I wanted to talk about, uh, I suppose, some thoughts I have from my holiday, which I think I said in last week's episode, by the time you were listening to it, I would be just back from holidays. And yeah, I was in, I don't post about it. I'm a little bit old fashioned like that. I don't like to post while away on holidays. <laughs> I suppose to tell people that I'm out of the house for two weeks, uh, just, I know a lot of people do. And, but for me, I'm a little bit old fashioned like that. And I think, uh, I prefer to wait until I'm back to say about holidays and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I was in Italy for two weeks and we were in Tuscany, just about an hour or 40 minutes south of Pisa. And it's absolutely beautiful and great holiday and just so welcome to get a break after two years. And I hope wherever you're listening that you have got or have planned, uh, you know, to get a break, a bit of a holiday, whether at home or abroad, just to, I suppose, after the two years that we've had, it was just so nice to get back um, to a kind of a normality where, you know, families can travel again in relative comfort, albeit that the airport was, you know, a little bit slower and all the rest of it. But to be able to go on a family holiday again was, it was something that I really, really enjoyed. And, you know, we all, we all had a great time and it was, it was lovely to, it was lovely to be able to do that again. And uh, for the kids, especially, it was just, it was just great to get back doing that. Um, so far that has absolutely nothing to do with gardening. So apologies for that. But, um, yeah, look, the the episode this week is kind of about the thoughts from that um, from that trip to Tuscany. Uh, we've been so basically we go to we've gone to this campsite before and we went back again because we knew it and we knew the pools were safe for the for MER three and a half year old who will just run in straight lines and doesn't look back to know if anybody's following her. So I suppose with that in mind, we knew that this place was safe in terms of swimming pools and so on. So we went back there um for that reason and it's just beside the coast uh, right along uh, down in as i said tuscany and so obviously a beautiful part of the world very pic- picturesque and i suppose i had some thoughts around gardening while i was there and it was interesting to to see i suppose comparisons on a few things firstly on comparisons on the area we were in now to where to a couple of years ago but also i suppose comparisons back to ourselves here in ireland and and several things i suppose have come to my mind and some of those i'm going to i'm going to kind of cover off today um and i think it's interesting and there probably is a few things that we can we can pick up from that so i suppose we fly into Pease airport and then you you we get a a bus down to the campsite in San Vincenzo and on the way down you're passing vineyards you actually pass through an area called Pistoia uh, which is the home it's a sort of a valley and it's the home of a lot of really big Italian nurseries that grow a lot of specimen plants Uh, these are generally structural plants that you will see you know as structure plants in garden not so much flowering plants but definitely all structural things so they're growing, obviously, the usuals, the boxes, uh, all the different boxes, cones, balls, shapes, um, you know, topiary of all that sort of thing. And uh, there's lots of other types of topiary, bay, uh, all the bay trees. 
Then they do a lot of tall conifers, really tall structural conifers, huge fotinias, uh, and all the other structural plants. And they all come out of this kind of valley. Uh, you pass by it, you see it, but I wasn't up around there visiting. But again, it was all structural, so not so much flower. And I suppose that's what you come to see. Um, and one of the striking differences between where we were in Italy and here is that the the range of plants that we can conceivably grow here is so much wider than what they grow over there. Um, like really and truly, when I'm talking about gardens, and, and I've seen some beautiful gardens over there, um, but it tends to be a lot of the same type of plants, repeated, repeated, repeated. And here, where you might see a perennial border with maybe 20, 30, 40 different you know, perennials and shrubs in it, various trees, bedding plants, um, flowering shrubs, structural plants, the vast array of plants that we can that we can have the ability to grow here is so much more than they have there. Ours, yeah, I suppose that's that's one way of putting it. But another way maybe is that they are really growing plants that are 100% suitable uh, to their climatic conditions. So they're not going to grow anything that has a high demand for water because they know that during the months of, I suppose, May, June, July, August, and I suppose into September, they're going to get very little rainfall uh, temperatures are going to be high ground is going to be dry and so they seem to have very low maintenance gardens so they're only putting in plants that they know will thrive and survive in the conditions that they have and i suppose in in a way there's a lesson in that in that you know it's a good it's a good practice to follow grow plants that don't need a huge amount of caring because I suppose we, we've all done it. We, you, you create these huge borders and it gives you great variety, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of minding and tending and, you know, lifting dahlias and watering plants that require, you know, a lot of water, especially before they get established. Um, and they seem to avoid all of that and just grow what will work without being touched. So that was interesting. Um, it's funny because the range of plants that I'm talking about that they're growing in the gardens, these are beautiful looking gardens now, helped by the beautiful architecture, beautiful sunshine, uh, nice stone walkways, stone pottery, uh, clay pottery, and all of that, you know, it has that Italian look about it. But within any of these beautiful gardens, the range of plants is literally maybe up to 10, but maximum of 10. And yet still the garden looks beautiful. And that's really interesting. They also have lawns, which are scorched at this stage, so they're yellow, scorched. They have the huge advantage of little or no, no mowing on those lawns. Uh, I assume that if they have a lawnmower, it's probably only used a handful of times during the year. And even when it is used, it's a really light cut, as opposed to the huge amount of grass that we grow in terms of size and also in terms of the grass itself, how quickly it grows. And I know from the height of mine when I came back, uh, it, it, has, it was about a foot high and thick 
uh, it wouldn't be if if somebody came in and ha- harvested a silage, it wouldn't have been out of place. And so that's interesting. So what I see is that the level of maintenance required in our gardens is way way more than the level of maintenance that they will require in their garden, albeit with a much smaller range of plants, but equally beautiful. Um, but then again, I, that beauty, as I say, is helped by the constant sunshine and, and all the rest of it. Uh, and it was just really, that was a really interesting thing. Um, what plants did they have? Again, some of them, a lot of the gardens didn't have much by way of flowering plants. The one that was repeated absolutely everywhere was paper flowers. Um, that was repeated in every garden and masses of it in every garden. There was some gardens with flower carpet roses. And I spoke to one of the gardeners on the campsite I was on one morning. He had very little English, but he told me that they flower there from about March through to October, November. So getting a huge amount of flowering. Now he was deadheading on that time. So he obviously, they obviously deadheaded regularly. They did have an irrigation system in there, but feeding wise didn't look to be doing much in terms of feeding. So that, that seems to be, you know, a good plant that's given a long time. In terms of bedding plants, there was a lot of color bedding around the place, but it was predominantly geraniums. So again, that's a good, that's a good, I suppose, if you're looking at a bedding plant that's going to be hardy and can survive, can take a little bit of drying out. Geraniums seem to be absolutely everywhere in a lot of cases with no irrigation on it. In a lot of cases in pots where the soil was as dry as dust and yet still the plants looked quite healthy. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. So if you're looking at bedding plants, then geranium and you're maybe not going to be looking after them all the time, then geranium could be a good option. Uh, Serfinia was there in huge amounts, but again, it did have irrigation and seemed to be re- irrigated quite regularly. So that seems to be a plant that was used for high impact, but they were using irrigation in conjunction with it. Um, good few trees then, some that we'd have here, like Scots pine, there was loads of Scots pine and they looked absolutely beautiful, quite mature. The campsite was set in underneath one of those, and that was they're one of my favorite trees anyway. But in that setting, they were they were just beautiful. Um, other trees, there was um, a little farm shop that had a wedding venue attached to it, where you get married outside, and there was like a, a dance floor under all these mulberry trees. There was lots of acacias, lime trees, and that sort of thing. So it seems to be a lot of structural plants. Then some flowers, but predominantly the paper flowers and bedding. And uh, yeah, very, very simple, but very beautiful gardens at the same time. And that was just, as I say, a really interesting comparison. The amount of effort that we put into creating, maintaining, I suppose, looking after our gardens seems to be just so much more than what they would do over there, Um which is interesting it's interesting I, I don't know i don't know exactly know what i'm saying there but maybe there's a lesson in it that um you know and I, I know climatically it's it's a different setup but it was interesting to see that you know they, they they seem to spend so little time maintaining and 
a lot of time enjoying. Again, as I say, weather plays a huge factor in that and the heat and and uh, all the rest of it. But maybe there's a better balance that we can find there. So less time having to maintain and more time enjoying would definitely seem like a good idea to me. And it did when I arrived back at the gate here after two weeks and, and found uh, a lawn that was 12 inches high and I had a lawnmower that was struggling to cut it for the first time. So, yeah, it was interesting. Um where the campsite is set, there's when you come out of it and you, you, we hire bikes there because the beach is like two kilometers away and you cycle to the beach and it's all, all good. But when you come off, off the back of it, you're out into Tuscany countryside and it's very much in that area. It's very much vegetable and fruit growing area. And on the previous trip, we would have went out early in the morning on walks and on cycles and it, Again, it was really interesting to see that. One definite change from the last time we were there to now was the last time we were there, there was sunflower growing in, I suppose, small amounts. But this time, and I don't know, is this something to do with what's going on in Ukraine? Because Ukraine is a huge producer of sunflower. This time there was a lot. Um, I would say 50% of the, of the fields were sown with sunflowers and not the the pretty garden types where the where the sunflower actually looks upwards or peeps towards you uh, these were sunflowers that were five six foot tall with the flower head just pointing straight to the ground uh, obviously being grown for for crops rather than for the aesthetic of it now some of them did look quite beautiful where you have a big long strip of sunflowers with some of the heads turned up it looked quite nice um, but that was interesting. So I don't know if that's something to do, and I presume it is something to do with the fact that the sunflower, the majority of sunflowers or a big percentage of the sunflowers grown across Europe would have come from Ukraine and maybe Italy or somehow trying to balance up and, and have some from themselves there. But the, the vegetable fields themselves, some really interesting things there. Um, funnily enough, some weeds that we have huge problems with here horsetail or mare's tail as we know it and bindweed there was a field with a field and a kind of a an irrigation ditch with masses of vine of bindweed in it and it, it seemed to be all over the field and spread everywhere but there was no there was still crops in there and, and very very good crops in there in that particular field there was tomatoes and the majority of the tomatoes they seem to be grown are the are the bush types. So growing no higher than sort of twenty-four inches, twenty-four inches wide, and a lot of cherry tomatoes grown on these on these bush varieties, up on drills like we'd have potatoes say. And uh, there was there was a you know big fields of these, obviously tomatoes, high demand, able to grow them outside. They even some of them look like they're coming to the end of their production at this stage whereas a lot of ours within polytunnels here are just starting some some people probably have them for the last three or four weeks but for the majority they're starting to fruit here now or starting to ripen here now so that was really interesting to see that you know they have these almost coming to the end at this point over there and they had bindweed in a big way in that field the other weed that they had as i said was horsetail and it was funny because 
it didn't seem to be widespread, but it was in certain places and it was like as if they don't touch it. So I know horsetail, if you try and, well, firstly, if you, if you start rooting at it, if you, if you get any of it in your garden and you start digging and spreading, it will spread like wildfire. But if this seemed to be in pockets and it was like as if they, when it was there, they just did not cultivate, cut or stream or dig anywhere near it and just let it do its thing. And because you're not trying to disturb it, it doesn't look to spread too much. And that was just interesting as well. Um, interesting to see that they have those weeds as well. But the fields themselves where they're growing all these vegetables, again, there was some kind of interesting things there. So they're, they're not kind of big, open, expansive fields like what we might be used to looking at here. They were kind of long, flat fields. And they were divided up into sort of mini uh, paddocks or growing areas, for want of a better word. And these might be maybe 20 meters wide by 100 meters long. But interestingly, all around the field, they would have a perimeter of a somewhat wild area where there'd be a lot of flower. Uh, Some of it would be flower that was sown in and some of it would be wildflowers that autumn, you know, that have have just just grown there naturally and these strips were very deliberate so they were completely enclosing if an overall field and then within the paddocks they had strips of flowers again they tended to be mixed flowers strips of flowers all through the all through these so they might have you know said 20 drills with tomatoes in it and then a strip of flowers and then outside of that melons for 20 drills and then flowers again and these flowers were all up through the center of these crops and on the ends. And then the whole field was was flowered all around it. And that was really interesting because these were farms, you know, they had on the gate, they have the, the name of the farm and they have their organic cert on it. Um, and these were definitely farms that were utilizing flower to bring through beneficial in- insects through the crops. And... I went out into one of the fields. There was a lot of people, you know, a lot of farmers around, a lot of workers around. And in a lot of cases, I don't think they want you in there. But on a couple of occasions, I went in and had a look. And it was amazing how much, not so much, it didn't seem to be bees, but certainly hoverflies and things like that seemed to be on these sort of corridors of flowers. But when you look at the at the plants, there was no, that I could see, no green fly, no black fly, none of that sort of thing. So it's like as if the beneficials are doing the job. Um, disease on the tomatoes, there seemed to be none, but you, you would expect that in the really dry climate. So there didn't seem to be anything, you know, any blights or anything like that because it's so dry, as you would expect. But definitely they are utilizing, these organic farms are utilizing the the corridors for bringing beneficial insects up through the crops. And the crops that you're seeing in the fields, you're talking about chili peppers, tomatoes, melons, uh, sunflowers I mentioned earlier on, um, a lot of salad crops, as you'd expect. And they looked to be the only, they looked to be the only things that they were irrigating. So they all seem to have irrigation systems on the, on the farms, but the only irrigation that they were doing or they seem to be doing was on the fields where the, where the salads were so obviously they're a you know, high demand for water uh quite a quick crop and i'd say that's you know they were the ones that they seem to be irrigating 
not so much the tomatoes didn't have any irrigation set up. I would imagine that they're probably planted early-ish in the season where there's still a lot of moisture in the ground and then they were just, I would imagine they're not watering after that at all uh, or at least very little. That's what seemed to be the case anyway and the same goes for the melon. So there was melons, courgettes, you know, cucumber grown outside. There was small pockets of root vegetables but definitely not much because I don't think they seem to eat a lot of it over there. You'd see very little of it in the shops. It seemed to be all, you know, quick. There, there was onions, uh, shallots, garlic, a lot of garlic actually. Um, but, you know, generally a simpler range of, of vegetables as well. And yeah, it was, as I say, really interesting to see the, the flowers being grown through the crops. Then other observations, there was a, a really nice, um, I suppose, farm shop. And this is, you know, really, it was really nice to see. So it was basically a farm shop. The the lady behind the counter was an oldish woman in her 70s. The man was going around on a little mini tractor and there was very little English book and we went in there and had a coffee, watched the setup. So basically this is a little farm shop with a coffee dock and a whole shebang set up there. You could buy your ice creams, you could buy your coffees, you could buy your beer if you wanted. Uh, we were there early in the morning and the farmer was bringing in fresh vegetables in really small amounts. So he was bringing in six melons, you know, five heads of lettuce, a small few onions and all of this. And he was feeding it all into the farm shop and the lady was inside organizing it all. It looked, it was, it looked beautiful. The smell was just amazing. And then they sat down. The place was busy. People were coming and going. A lot of locals coming in, flying in, picking up three or four different types of vegetables and out the door. And then every so often off he'd go again on his tractor. We were there for about an hour. Maybe he'd fly off again on his tractor and get to the, field which was right next to him uh, pick six melons bring them back in and replace the ones that had had just been been sold so it was the freshest of the fresh but what was really nice about it was the community so these were all local people and some tourists but predominantly local people coming in the vegetables were grown within a couple of hundred meters of where they were being sold they were probably being consumed within five or six kilometers of of that and so it was a very, very closed uh, and low mileage, low carbon input, um, everything in season, everything organic, uh, looked beautiful, smelled beautiful. And to me, that's, I suppose, the way a food system should work. I know that sounds a little bit silly, but if you take that model and look at it, you know, big box supermarket here, for example, and your tomatoes are in a plant, you know, six of them on a plastic tray with a plastic sleeve on it with a plastic sticker on top of that. Your iceberg lettuce is shrunk wrapped, your bag of salads, which is a crazy uneconomical thing, your bag of salad leaves is in a plastic bag. And everything is plastic wrapped and has traveled a huge distance. And I suppose we have the ability to have a system, have a system a little bit like that system in Tuscany. Now, it may not be economical everywhere in Ireland because 
you know, the cost of doing business, the cost of growing, the cost of all of that is probably a lot higher here than it is there. And, you know, but the principle, the principle of how that was done for me is exactly how a proper food system should work. Okay, I know we can't grow everything and but but again, they can't grow everything either. But at the same time, what you found in that shop was all seasonal. All things that they could grow at that point in time, and that's what they were consuming. And so, you know, that that definitely to me is a food system that should be replicated. And even that in itself, if it if it came to fruition in a in a broader way, would have a huge impact on reducing carbon. You know, because you know this the amount of plastic that goes into presenting our vegetables the way they're they're being presented uh, in supermarket setups. So I know we have farmers markets and some farm shops around the country, and you know that to me is is a more suitable business model, provided the vegetables are are being grown locally and not just being flown in to make a farm shop look like a farm shop, if that makes sense. Um. You might be asking, what has any of this got to do with gardening? But it's it's just thoughts from from there in relation to a lot of what we talk about on the podcast um, about growing your own and, and gardening and, and all that. Another really interesting thing was I said earlier that the majority of the tomatoes I saw, certainly on the commercial side, were all the little bush varieties and little kind of cherry tomatoes. But all of the small domestic houses in the countryside it was amazing to see they all had a plot of vegetables with, I would say without exception. We went, as, as we cycled around, you could see them all, but we went um, horse riding. I didn't, my, Rebecca and Freya went off on the horses and Emmy, the three and a half year old, went on a little pony, but that didn't last too long. So I was walking beside her and then we had an hour basically while the others were gone away to explore around the horse riding up in the hills in Tuscany. And I walked around the, the, the place where we were doing the horse riding first, around the back of the house. You were allowed to go everywhere you wanted there. And they had a little plot with vegetables grown in it. They were using the horse manure. Um, it was all stacked up beside where the vegetable plot was, and it was covered down with plastic. So what I can see is happening is that they're cleaning out stables, creating a, a pile of of, comp, of horse manure, covering it down with plastic to avoid weeds seeding into it to probably speed up the composting of that. And it looked like there was this year's pile covered down and last year's pile, which looked like to be about half the size, which had already composted down. And I suspect that that gets loaded onto the whole vegetable area in the autumn time or in the winter time. And so, in effect, they're creating a no-dig garden. Uh, they're probably not calling it that, but that seemed to be the kind of system they were going with. And then, every it, within that, then they had their peppers. And again, interestingly enough, they seemed to grow not huge amounts of anything. So there was a there was one or two pepper plants, say a chili plant and maybe a bell pepper plant, and they would be getting peppers off them. I would say for the whole season. So that's a huge advantage. They were able to do this outside, obviously. Then they had tomatoes. And here, 
different to the commercial model. They were growing tomatoes on, on vines. They were, every one of them created a teepee made with, with local sticks and these tall tomato plants, like what we would have in our, in our tunnels, sort of six foot high, couple of different types. So you can see that they're growing the, you know, the big fleshy ones for creating the passatas and the sauces, but they're also growing then the, the smaller eating ones and the cherry ones, but all in the, in the tall format and supporting them with local, like willow sticks uh, or something like a willow and, or maybe hazel, could have been a hazel, but long straight sticks and supporting it that way. Um, but again, a very enclosed, like I would imagine that that little vegetable plot was probably producing the majority of what that family would need for the season. And I would say it's a closed circuit. So they're probably, they're obviously getting the, the horse manure that's fertilizing it. They were collecting water off the sheds to water it initially. And then I would imagine that they're harvesting the seed for it. And so that it's a very closed system and that it's not high input. And yet still, it's probably very, very productive. They had a couple of fruit trees. There was figs. There was olives. There was, um, there was fruit trees, fruit bushes. The majority of those were, were already finished apart from pears and figs. The majority of those were already finished, I would say, in that the crops had been taken off them. The berries looked to be things like white currants, uh, red currants and that. And they looked to be already finished. Strawberries, there were some strawberries there, again, looked to be almost finished. And, you know, salads, a lot of herbs and a very, as I say, an enclosed system. And every household seemed to have that. Uh, everywhere you looked, there was this little plot and quite similar looking. All of them seemed to have some way of harvesting rain, you know, obviously much drier, drier climate. And uh, so in that, in that sense, it's essential that they do harvest the rain. But then if you look at it from our perspective, an, an Irish perspective yeah, or a UK perspective, it, we get the rain way more than they do. We get, I suppose, much less dry, warm weather than they do. But yet at the same time, we've just been like, and are still are to a certain extent in the middle of a, of a drought. So there has been very, very little rainfall for a long time here. So harvesting rainwater is absolutely essential. And because we get so much more rainfall during the winter months, our ability to harvest rainwater and to have it for that period of time is a lot more than theirs. Um, and I think we should be doing more of it. Definitely, they seem to be doing lots of it. Uh, and, you know, it, it was just interesting to see that the it looked everything looked to be a lot simpler. Um, obviously, you're on holidays and uh, you always, when you're on holidays, you always say, this, oh, this is amazing. And yeah, I'd live here forever and all that sort of thing. It was very, it was very hot. It was 30 degrees all the time, but not the the dangerously high heats that they've had in maybe France and Portugal currently. Um, so it was 30 degrees all the time, but still quite hot, quite intense. The fact you can hop in a pool whenever you want makes it not feel so bad. But from a gardening sense, you know, they had a lot of water on hand in all of these places, in all of these little gardens to do that. They definitely don't seem to, I suppose, the, the gardens, while all beautiful, they have a lot of structural plants and some some flower 
and they all look, as I say, really beautiful, but very, very, very simple. I'd imagine that maintenance-wise, there is very little maintenance in them, um, for the most part. Okay, a small bit here and there, but I think mostly very little, very little maintenance. And they go for big structural plants that are probably very, I suppose, drought-resistant more than more than we would here and then the range of plants is a lot smaller so they're my thoughts from from my holiday um as again i said it earlier i'm not really sure how much benefit that is to somebody in their own garden here but i do think there's a couple of takeaways that maybe maybe we here have gardens that need too much care to keep looking well and we probably end up spending more time than we should maintaining maintaining a space and less time than we should enjoying a space. I think that might be the kind of the takeaway from it. Other than that, I'd say we'll be back next week to full gardening episodes and regular uh, regular weekly ones. I have a couple of really interesting ones lined up. I'm just not sure when they'll be released yet. I have a really interesting one coming up on uh, garden painting. And, you know, that's an interesting one because there's so much different surfaces outside our environment. As I said earlier on, you know, our, our quite wet winters mean that stuff outside can look quite shabby quite quickly. But there's also we're also going to talk about upcycling by uh, painting, painting things, you know, furniture or pots or whatever it is, different colors. And I suppose changing our style through using paint and and that's coming up just not sure when yet but it's coming up in the in the next couple of weeks and i'm looking forward to that and there's also some other episodes on plant trials and things like that coming up so lots of interesting topics coming up but this week's one is just uh, my thoughts from i suppose my 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 two-week holiday in in italy and uh, yeah hope that wherever you're listening that you are getting a chance to get a break uh, whether that's at home or abroad, I hope you are. Um, you know, it's been a long two years for everybody without any, I suppose, not, without the ability to have a comfortable holiday. So, yeah, as I say, hopefully everybody's getting to do that now. And they're just my thoughts from, from Tuscany. And, uh, yeah, that's been this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And until the next time, happy gardening. Mm-hmm.